Hello and welcome to another Not Chilly podcast. Today, Josh and I sat down and we watched Ready Player One by Steven Spielberg and just had a good old time. It's amazing how these conversations, part of the reason why I love them, is that they just devolve or evolve into such a like a history of things. Uh, and one thing in particular that stands out in this particular podcast is Josh's love for Spielberg. I'm always concerned about the fact that if we do another Spielberg film, which we will inevitably do, that we will like dive into exactly the same conversation about his, you know, the way he shoots, the, how Josh, you know, loves the way he works, and all these things. Um, so yeah, anyway, so you can t- certainly see the love that Josh has for that particular director, and he can go on for days. But we also go into like special effects in particular. I mean, this movie is basically just about special effects and a little bit about the history of the company, and um, and and also we talk about how this isn't an acting film. We yeah, we just dive into a lot of things with this film, and yeah, and I had a great time recording it. So I hope you guys have a really good time listening to it. Uh, yeah, thanks very much for listening, and feel free to share and all that other business. Um, here you go. Episode number six. What are we talking about here? It's your podcast. It's not just my podcast. It's kind of like our podcast. You're the only person, even though, like, I'm, I was supposed to, like, interview so many people. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to interview all my friends. It's just <laughs> the Josh and Piot Show. <laughs> Book them up, man. Book them up. I, sh- and I want to, but then it becomes this it Makes thing. it look like I have nothing else to do. <laughs> we, is that not the truth? Do we not have I, like I have plenty of things to do? I got things I should do. There's a lot of things I'm not doing. Gonna, yeah, yeah. We could all be working right now. Let's we could be. all be. <laughs> this is the curse of freelance. You you always feel guilty. Constantly. Yeah. Do you know the funny thing is everyone always says about like oh you you work like from home or you work well you know that kind of stuff. I could never do that. You know why? Oh, I would uh, be procrastinating too much. Yeah. Like, you'll be homeless very quickly. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, yeah. You'll find a way. <laughs> yeah. It it's might fun. be rushed. It might be like last minute, but you'll yeah. do it. And well, because the, the other one is they go, oh, that's like a dream, right? Uh, and it is fantastic in 180 ways. And then the six ways in which it sucks, it sucks really hard. Oh, yeah. Because um, work is always near you. And um, mm-hmm. but, I mean, you, you mostly work out of home, so yeah, it's yeah, different. Yeah. But like a lot of editing and stuff like that you have that thing of like it's always kind of hanging around or the spaces might not be separated enough Mm -hmm. or you know for me like my you know uh because i put so much awesome hardware into my computer for work it's an awesome gaming machine so it's like that's where my like pc game yeah i don't have like pac-man on my yeah recorder or anything yeah (laughs) well it's it's, that's a funny thing like all the negative things are mostly to do with your state of mind with Mm. freelance not the not the practical things of, I have to get up and go to work or I have to yeah. suffer traveling. I have to do this, I have to do that. Anyway, that's well, obviously what we're talking about today. That's right. We're just talking about the freelance industry and, um, and how much it really blows. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> uh, we should probably actually talk about the thing that we're supposed to talk about. Um, all right. So, obviously, we're talking about Ready Player One. Obviously. Because, like... <laughs> couldn't you tell? Couldn't you tell with the puns? Yeah. And sad. obviously, first of all, what, what, the, the most important thing to say, I think, right at the beginning is that, like, hey, spoiler, we're not trying to... We're not going to tell you what this movie's about. We're just going to talk about what we liked about it in all kind of aspects. So, anyone who's listening, those six people who downloaded my my pod, podcast or our Told podcast... You. Yeah, no, it just comes rolls off the tongue. Um... 
this is a this is a, not a spoiler free podcast. You will need to either have read the book or watch the movies. But I will say, something. from what I'm gathering, um, doesn't matter I, if you've read the either book watch the film or have like also have what like read the book. Yeah, I think if you read the book, you would understand that the the, the the premise of the whole thing. If you watch the movie, then you totally get into mm. whatever the hell we're talking about. But I'll get into that later on when it comes to my kind of feelings. Um, so I guess we're like, I mean, I, once again, I don't want to talk about what the film's about because we know. Yeah, that's um, what I mean. Uh, but we, I guess what? why did you want to watch it? You go first. What was your reasoning to watch it? Spielberg. Of course it was. I knew that. I should have just said it because it didn't even matter. And it's weird. I didn't see it at the cinema. Like, it's really... Yeah. It's um, such a cinema movie. It, it, Popcorn. And... It is. It felt like I wasn't at the cinema very long. I don't know. No. But whatever. But um, at the same time, like... I mean, who is Spielberg, really? <laughs> <laughs> that's an episode. Yeah. That's... Um, oh, God. It is. Yeah, that that was it. Yeah, just Spielberg mainly. Um, not even, like, the, the references and things like that, like... I didn't actually read the book for that reason. I'd have an interest in it, I suppose. I we'll get into this a bit later on, I mm-hmm. guess, but like I used to love references a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh over sort of the last 6 or 7 years as geek culture and stuff has sort of gone a bit more mainstream. Um I've generally found it more annoying than anything else where it's sort of like, do you get it? Yeah, yeah. Uh No, I know what you mean. So th- that's what I was expecting, to be honest. Okay, no, that's cool. I, I'll, I'll cut you off there because I know we're going to talk about that a bit later because, I mean, this movie has got so many of those kind of references. Um, so I guess for me, it was because I read the book. I didn't actually even think that Spielberg directed it until, you you know, got the, the look in your eye where you're like, oh, Spielberg. So I really um, just wanted to see. I Like, I was excited when I read the book. I was like, this is a movie. Did, like you just read and you're like, yes, yeah, this is a script almost in itself. Though I feel like it needed to be six hour movie or a four hour or five hour movie, like as in if they directly translate. That's right. Book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like we're, we'll get into all that later on, but like I don't actually have any qualms with the book to movie relationship in this particular situation. I see them as separate. Very much so. And in, and this is a great example of that separation. But we'll get into those kind of details when we mm. kind of get to the summing up of the the film, the, the, the cinema film. Um, okay, well, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, there's not really much more to say about that. It's just going to be... I, yeah, mine was easy. It was one word. Yeah, that's right. And me, it was just <laughs> spectacle and, and the book, really. Because it's, it's such a cool universe. The whole idea of it. I mean, it's Earth and it's, you know, it's our, it's our universe, but it's such a cool blend of a lot of really interesting concepts that uh, that are of our time mm. that we could foresee. Um, yeah, and I guess we're jumping straight into technical because well, that was an easy transition. What a wacky, like, technical film. Now, I'm talking about, like, I, I mean, we're talking about cinematography here, but we should probably talk about it's most, like, mostly, it's like, Looks like seventy percent CG, uh, which is awesome. That, I mean, suits it. Yeah, it's about I, a video game world. But you know, it's important to bear in mind that you still have like an incredibly accomplished and talented Yanush uh, Kaminsky at the, mm. you know, behind the camera, and and I think that like it is his touch is still very, very, very clear in all mm-hmm. of the CG stuff. Um, 
you know, one of the things is it is like, as you were saying throughout the film, right? Like, oh, I'm so glad this isn't cutting every like three seconds. Yeah. That was such a big deal to me. Yeah. I mean, Spielberg doesn't do that and he never has. Yeah. So. Uh, there's Jackie Chan in action <laughs> sequences. And that's one of the reasons why I have a huge appreciation for this film, as well as Jackie Chan movies, because there's, it's one shot you see, you're seeing what's going on. There's no reason to cut unless you're trying to hide something. And you always, I always feel like if I if I walk away from an action sequence and I, and I, it's just a blur to me. Unless that was the intention. Unless like you know you're supposed to be in a blur. You're supposed to be in the head of the character or something like that. But generally speaking, if you're supposed to just kind of enjoy it and want to see what's going on, you want to see how amazingly talented and and how cool this all is. You don't do that with fast cuts. Let it breathe. Yeah, I. Well, the thing that's interesting, right, is because in terms of his work, this is closest to Tintin than anything else. Okay. Um, Never seen it. I, really? No, I didn't see it. I knew. I know the reference to it. But uh, I, it. I want to. It's uh, completely shot with the, um, not completely, but overwhelmingly it's shot using the uh, uh, Avatar setup in oh, uh, New Zealand. The two, like, red cameras or whatever. Um, no, no, no. His, uh, James Cameron's brother is a camera engineer. So, uh, Tintin, um... Which is obviously linked to this film because of its CGI. Yeah. So yeah. the thing about Spielberg is that he doesn't do a film, uh, or he doesn't approach it using a technique that will stop him from being himself mm. as a creative. And so, uh... I mean, that's why Jurassic Park, right, is such a, uh, a line in the sand film. It is such a, uh, a point at which film changed mm. because the obvious way to make that film is to lock the camera off every time there's CGI and to do all sorts of things that make it really easy. Don't have rain. Don't do this. Don't do, don't do any of that stuff. Uh, but they had like the first motion tracking of living creatures running through a scene. Uh, they had the first flesh CGI. They tried so many different things for the first time because Spielberg was like, hey, I'm only doing this CG thing if 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 it's not going to, like, stop me from doing the shots that I want because I need those shots to build the drama and the tension and the emotion that that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, what, that's what's so landmark about that film, right? He didn't change what he was doing. And that's what I went in when I went in to watch Tintin. That's what I was so shocked by. He had that same approach. You watch that film and if you knew nothing about it, you, well, not nothing, but if if you knew anything about Spielberg, you would come away and go, wow, that's like him. He hasn't changed uh, how he makes the film because of the technology. Mm-hmm. And this film is exactly like that. He hasn't, uh, he hasn't changed the way that he approaches um, shots uh, storytelling or, and stuff like that. Yeah, any of his visual storytelling, like none of it is different. He still has all the same techniques. It's yeah, that's a bit of a ramble, but that that's what I really really enjoyed uh, about it is that despite he has, you did see in a lot of the wide shots and stuff like that. Though he really uh, took a lot of joy in the freedom in the same way that George Lucas with the prequel trilogy of. Uh, Star Wars would do these incredible epic sweeping moves, you know, of the camera before maybe like a conversation or something. And there's quite a lot of that kind of stuff um, happening in uh, in Ready Player One. I'm just looking up how it was shot. 
Fucking hell. He's so amazing. What do you think the budget for that film was? 120 million. <laughs> I thought it was about 250. Yeah, no, I was One, I'm, 175. Yeah, I was being I'm trying to get it. Like <laughs> I was being conservative intentionally. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. Um Oh, fucking, you, you probably know exactly what you're talking about there. I mean, I'm just impressed by it. Uh, yeah, and that's kind of what I was going to get onto because I was like, look, the CGI in this was, it was so, um, how to put it, it fitted so well with what it was trying to do in this film. From the, like, from the real world to the, the real world was done really well in a way that was was believable and interesting when the digital world was amazing and then those times where they blended the two and you went with like the shining thing, which was just like, like uh, and we were both turned to each other at that point and throughout that thing being like, we're trying to figure out if they got the actual film <laughs> and just popped these CGI characters in or if they just shot it or recreated it or did it all digitally, like whatever the fuck they did. How the... Like, yeah, I'm 99% sure that they redid it they must no, have. they did it. They had to do it because yeah. the the issue with it is that like there were so many shots in it that I was like, well, that shot's not in writing. That shot's not. In yeah, I couldn't remember. I hadn't seen it in so long. So I think what they did was they just took a different course in terms of instead of using the stylized visuals of the uh, Oasis, mm. they used a separate sort of thing where. Uh, the approach was to be photorealistic. Mm -hmm. And the thing that was funny is like at no point they contrasted throughout the film when there were bits like that, they contrasted, but it never felt felt at odds or clashing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, that was really, really, that, that sequence was just phenomenal. I mean, it, it, the thing that's awesome about it is it goes, it, it shows you what can be done with CGI is what's so cool about this film. Yeah. Is that, uh, you know, aspects of that, which were CG, did not look like CG, particularly mm. the carpet. Yeah. The carpet looks unbelievable. Yeah. Um, also, and, can I just say that the, the company... I mean, obviously, this is to do with the budget as well. But the company that did the CGI, the level of detail—it would have in been island. everything. Yeah. It was just unreal. Like ignoring, let's just pretend this movie was crap and there was nothing good about it. The CGI on itself was just mind blowing. Yeah. I mean, of course, they had the luxury of being like, "This is a digital world we're recreating," but it was just like, I mean, I remember the, there's that car sequence that happens towards the beginning of it. Mm. Just. Just little things like the way that the like something would blow up and this and they just they didn't need to have fifty cars or whatever it was in that thing. They could have had twenty because it would have been much less time to render and it still would have been pretty effective. But they just did it so well and all the the cars had like thought about them. The, each of the cars that weren't the the IOI or the, the that company's cars were all unique and interesting they all had personalities yeah all the mechanisms that that the those cars had had thought about how would this mechanism work it wasn't just and a magic saw appears out of the car it was like this folds back this claws out and this and then suddenly you've got a saw and, and the way that that cuts into another car it like all those little details just like oh man they i mean they are that's a, i almost Every single uh, important moment of CGI that's ever happened has been them. 
Uh, so, I mean, they, they are just remarkable. The only thing, mm. the only one that I can really think of that wasn't them and sort of came out of left field, but out of necessity is, um, the Peter Jackson's the one that he works with, uh, what are they? Weta, yeah. Weta Digital. So there's Weta and then there's, uh, Weta Digital. So Weta does all the model work, prosthetics, mm. um, could you, could you imagine being like, is it ILM? ILM, yeah, Industrial yeah. Light and Magic. Could you imagine like going into a room with them and being like, okay, so I want to create, name it, whatever it is. Like I want to create a universe where everything, and we want to fly through the entire universe and we want to see, they're like, yeah, yeah, we can do that. Just still take this long and this is how much it will cost. I feel like that's the only the only thing that, that, that the only conversation they'll have is that. And they started it by being extremely new big. to the technology, weren't they? Were they just early? Well, they adopters? helped create it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't just early adopters, they were the creating creators. it. I mean, their first CGI element was um in the original Star Wars in 1977. Uh, people tend to think that on the little screen when they get the briefing of how to attack the Death Star, mm. most people think that's a hand-drawn animation. Mm-hmm. When it's like, but it has a 3D look, that is a that is a CGI element. Wow. And, that's um, a difficult one to, to do early. Well, you have to keep in mind that in order to do that, they had to solder together the computer. So they had to make a custom computer to do that. <laughs> from scratch, right? Because in those days, there wasn't uh, 1977. There wasn't a personal computer with software that you could sit down and do stuff that didn't yeah, exist yeah. yet. So it was okay. This is the task that this computer needs to do. Let's go make that computer. Um, I think I think at least one of those guys that helped on that project ended up at at uh, Pixar, but um, uh, at least one of them. I'm 99 sure. But the the thing that's interesting about ILM, who started like their f- they were founded for Star Wars in, you know, mm. 1976. The type of risk taking that they do, like, they went through 75% of their budget for the original Star Wars. And George Lucas threw all of it out because it was terrible. It wasn't up to standard. And... Holy shit. They, every effect that you see in the original Star Wars, in the original prints, obviously, not the mm-hmm. ones since, but... All the original effects you see on that was made on 25% of the budget that they had for Jesus for special effects and visual effects. So a lot of failure before they got to where they were. It's a lot of failure. When they when Dennis Muren, right, he's, uh, he was one of, one of the top guys at ILM. He's one of the brains behind it all. Mm. You know, he, the T-1000 is his, which came from uh, the uh, James Cameron's uh, liquid. There's a liquid tentacle in... Um, the abyss mm-hmm. that imitates people's faces. Oh my god, that sounds so creepy. It is, but then it like has a thing where it's it's beautiful. Like you sort of it's creepy at first, and then, um, so he uh, he was involved in all that stuff. Um, but when they got to Jurassic Park, uh, he told Spielberg that they could do the dinosaurs before he knew how. <laughs> so. Uh, that's interesting. Spielberg was like, wow, that's amazing. He's like, yeah, we can do this. We can do the dinosaurs. Don't do them go motion. Uh, do them this way. And he's like, oh, cool. He's like, then I rushed back to ILM and just we fucking got to work. <laughs> can um, you imagine? Oh, that's amazing. What a- I think it's a case of like all the theory was in his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He knew that you could do it. I've had that kind of feeling before. Not obviously. I've had people come up to me and be like, okay, I need to get this recording. And this is where we're shooting. I'm like. All right. Like, oh, yeah. It's, it's, it works in my head, but 
this is what it's going to take. And I think he saw a project where he could change an industry. Mm-hmm. I think that's how how broad minded he was about it. Yeah. So I think like. Yeah, I mean, so if that's what your background is, if that's the origins of this organization and they've never left that culture behind, mm. that's how you have a film like Ready Player One. That's yeah. that, it wasn't just a tangent. That that's was right. that was about this. So um that's where you get that level of detail. That's where you get that. I mean, they're phenomenally expensive. Oh, of course. Um, but you're paying reports, for that experience. You're paying for experience. You're paying for a gazillion hours. You're paying for millions of dollars in uh, R and D in in everything, yeah. everything. You know when they change shaders, right? So like you know in video games, right? You sort of go what graphics look like ten years ago versus now. It's like the shaders of how um, textures and light and all that kind of stuff interact. Uh, you know, imagine that they make new ones for that for CGI. It's like. Mm. Uh, when you watch the Star Wars Episode 2 and then you go to Star Wars Episode 3, the difference between Yoda's skin in Episode 2 and Episode 3, it's like, uh, as far as I know, they went back and they, like, re-rendered him. Uh, definitely in Episode 1, they went back and they replaced the puppet, which was a weird-looking puppet. But um, mm. they replaced him with the Episode 3 uh, shaders. It's, it's, it's amazing. They, just, they pour all this money into this stuff. Um, they had to develop for... Uh, they did Warcraft, which is so good. Uh, they developed, yeah, yeah. they had to, <laughs> that's actually another funny thing, but um, they had to uh, create a new system for hair because there was so much hair in that film because uh, of the orcs. They're yeah. so hairy. Um, they're so hairy. Yeah, but another film, I'm I'm pretty sure that they did Dinosaur, which was a, Disney film, which mixed CGI with plate shots that they shot all around the world. Um, I'm 99% sure that was them. And mm. the very, very first, even if it wasn't though, this is just an example of how, how this stuff happens. Like um, there was grass, uh, <laughs> there, there was grass, they could make grass, but no one had ever really made very much hair in CGI. So they just uh, reprogrammed the grass and that's how they got the lemurs to have foot, uh, hair. Yep. So you just like, people just do these things. Yeah. Like that's not what that was for, yeah, yeah. you know? Um, and then that with my, I mean, sorry, I'm not like trying to discredit these guys, but I feel like in the film industry, you do that on a lot of things. Like the idea that it's like, oh, you've got this thing and you've, you've got a, like, I've got a microphone, for example, and I've got to use it this way. Yeah. This is the only way to use the microphone. I'm like, well, why can't I, why can't I hide it under here and flip it? Reminds me of like a lab technique, which I was thinking, this is the way to do it. This is what you're supposed to do. It just wasn't working. And then some other guy's like, I'll just do grab this and put it like this. I'm like, that's never going to work. And I did. I'm like, holy shit, I should stop being a, like a pretentious prick with sound. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think like f film is one of those mediums where you, it's so important to learn how to do things properly so that you understand how to break it, how to break the rules mm. in the best way. Oh, yeah. Um, and it doesn't matter what that is. That's, I mean, that's the great thing about filmmaking, aside from any other medium, is that literally every single type of work is required for a film. You need mm. people, you need accountants, you need carpenters, you need electricians, you need, you need every industry that exists to get this shit. You need software people, you need yeah, fucking yeah. everything. And that's what's so exciting about it is like, yeah, you, so if all of those industries were interacting in a way that was only exactly the right way to be doing things all the time or the, the way that everyone's always done it all the time, uh, films would still look like how they did in the 1920s. Yeah. 
So it is this really exciting, like, uh, the point that we're really making is just when you have groundbreaking people behind stuff, you can end up seeing an end result that's really interesting. And I think that mm. from, and this sort of goes back into the sort of technique point of things, being a massive Spielberg fan um, and now, uh, yeah, as of now, I've seen every single film uh, of his, which I only had a few gaps in there, I think it was like three films of his that I hadn't seen, uh, and then I was caught up as they were coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, having watched all of them and studied them and and loved uh, all but about five, um, <laughs> yeah, they're all good. Some okay, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, not really. Some, there's some you can't have a career that big and not have a dud. Yeah, uh, I think the thing that I find really interesting is that when I went to watch Bridge of Spies. Mm. Uh, which is his, uh, I think, 2016 uh, film. The first time I watched that film, it finished, and I went, hmm, all right. And uh, I was talking to someone about it afterwards, I went, and they went, oh, wasn't that brilliant? It was brilliant. And I went, it was, it was good. Mm. Uh, and then I went, they were saying it was so amazing, like, oh, I'll have to watch it again. I watched it again. The issue that I came away with was, from the audience's point of view I'm talking about, by the way, obviously mm. not from his point of view, uh, and I'll get to that in a second, he so effortlessly makes a great film, and it's so fluid now, and just happens now, you know, without sort of, even, you know, even sort of 20-something years ago with this, you sort of go, oh, there's that sort of crack there, oh, there's that sort of like, you know, crease, there's this sort of thing. It's just, there's none of that now to the point that it seems so easy. Mm. So that's what, and I felt that in this film as well. It was like, uh, it, but it was also the first film I've seen probably of his, probably since Tintin, where he seemed like he was having a really good time mm-hmm. making it. And uh, again, like what I was going to say is that there was, you know, there's this documentary called Spielberg uh, and he is extensively interviewed in it. And one of the things he talks about is, uh, uh, his constant state on set, according to him, is sheer panic. Mm. Uh, but the number one most important thing is, and this is true for any director, any director that doesn't do this is not doing their job particularly well. Whatever is happening in your head, if it's anything other than complete confidence, uh, you can't share that with the set, right? Mm-hmm. If you're panicking, you can't yeah, let the yeah. set know. And it's nothing to do with... Like, it's not wank. It's no, not... Everyone's looking to you. Everyone, you have to have an answer to every single thing. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's why you have an AD and production manager and producer yeah. and all these people. Surround yourself with professionals for that reason. Sur- yeah. Surround people with things that basically a director can simply cannot take that amount of information in their brain. Yeah. Like, it's just not possible. Uh, so, you know, that's what those other people are there for, to... to, to be the bedrock for your creativity and so they do this incredible work in their various fields that allows you to stand on top of that yeah and, and tell everyone how you're going to do it mm-hmm. so the thing about for him is that when he reflects on his work he feels that he's the work he doesn't like is the work where he wasn't panicking um and so uh when he'll get to a set and like he'll set up the camera um it's why a lot of, it's why he's not very popular with bigger money people um in Hollywood anymore why his budgets aren't he's always had quite reasonable budgets um when you sort of look at things and go fuck if someone else made this it will cost double that 
Mm. You know, um, it's always sort of seemed that way with his stuff, but people don't give, he doesn't seem to get access to even larger money. One of the things, um, and this was on the War of the Worlds uh, special features, he talks about the fact that, like, he hates uh, uh, storyboards. Um, sorry, no, uh, previs, previsualization. Mm. Fine with storyboards, but storyboards are something that he can adapt camera placement from, whereas pre-visualization is something that financiers go, that's how you're shooting it. Because yeah. if you don't, the money changes. Because his approach is, these are the storyboards, get to set. All right, uh, I know in the storyboard the camera is here, but it's going to be here and it's going to be on a crane. Cool. Mm. Cause he were, he, because like he says, I don't like know. Not like Nolan. No. <laughs> he says, I have no idea what I'm going to do exactly until I get to a set because that's when he looks at a space and he goes, oh, I know how this look, this will look good, you know, from this angle and this angle and this mm. angle. That's how he works. And it's because he comes from the pre all of these things world, you know, mm. no CGI, no this, that, and that's where he starts No CGI. From. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Imagine you said that to someone today. Okay. Yeah. You can make any film you want, but you can't have CGI. Uh, and imagine if, like, if you know, whatever their idea might have been crazy. Like, there's so many things that are just not possible now. Mm. If you want to set a film in Sydney and you wanted to have a wide shot in 1970, all right, you better get some CGI going. Yeah. Because that's not what Sydney looked like in 1970. Yeah. So, uh, that's the world that he comes from. And, and, the, and the thing that I love about him and this film doesn't really change to me uh, just because the technology that there is behind it. Uh, he always carries his traditional approach uh, into every single project. Yeah. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And the only other note that I would say is that uh, I, I really love when ILM is working on something when uh, Janusz Kaminski is uh, the DOP because he, uh, I'm, I'm sure as you would have probably noticed, if you watch his work um, with Spielberg, which is every Spielberg film from uh, Schindler's List onwards, mm. um, with the exception of uh, about the first three or four films that they worked on together, after that point, I think actually from about Saving Private Ryan onwards, 1997 they shot that, 98 release, um, he seemed to get his way with Spielberg of uh, overexposing highlights. Mm. So <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, but when you if you watch that film again or any film they've worked on between 1998 and now uh, over the last 20 years together, it's it's... Interesting, he, his highlights are always blown out. Right. And uh, it's always interesting to see ILM, who uh, does basically all the CGI that Spielberg ever does. Uh, it's always interesting to see how they handle that, um, handle the fact that he blows, likes to have the highlights blown out. It's quite... Yeah, right. I didn't even think of that concept because that's, that's just the information is lost when it's blown out, right? Yeah, and I mean, they shoot on film, so yeah. he, he gets rid of it. Yeah. Like it was never there. So if you shoot digitally with dynamic range and all that kind of stuff, it's like you got so much still there. But Yunus Kaminsky is like, it's done. <laughs> um, I like that in a cinematographer. I like cinematographer has a bit of balls. It's absolute, mm. right? There's so much confidence. It's in camera. Yeah. And um, I like him. I like him. I, I think that he is, I think it's one of the best marriages of creative minds um, in cinema. Like, Could you imagine being in that? Like, oh, that that'd be a dream, to just, you know. And I hope to be able to do that. You know, like I've got there's a few directors which I'm really excited for my that are my generation, 
And th- that would be amazing to just be like, okay, cool. We're going to make basically one or two films a year. Uh, and we're going to do that for the rest of our lives. And they're going to be pretty awesome. And sometimes they're not going to be awesome, but they're always going to be, we're always going to be able to make movies. That would be the dream. Anyway, that's talking about my desires and my dreams. And, well, but I mean, yeah. the other, you know, the other long relationship with Spielberg is obviously John Williams as yes. well. Um, Did he do this? I am 99%. It sure as hell sounded like he did. It did. That's what I was um, thinking too. But then again, it's because there's so many movies that they referenced. I feel like John Williams had some kind of thing to do with. Which this leads on to a really good kind of point that I was going to... This is the other technical he aspect. He wasn't. Well, because in the, the sound of this was really amazing. I mean, I always find Spielberg doesn't... I don't know if this is just me, but I don't think there's a lot of Spielberg movies that I've watched where, yeah, go, what? Uh, um, no, no, sorry, you go. Okay. Uh, I was just going to say that, like, I, I, think, I feel like uh, Spielberg's a little bit more functional with his um, sound recording. I don't even know if he does, if there are, I mean, that film probably was all ADR or whatever it was. It didn't sound like the locations that were in, probably because a lot of those locations never existed. And I thought that was really interesting. Spielberg's, in my experience, with obviously a few exceptions and especially technical exceptions, generally the stuff that he does sounds a little bit too clean to my ears. It's quite funny because um, in the in the actual uh, overall of his career, no, definitely not. Yeah, I might only be thinking like, because I was watching a bit of Jurassic Park the other day and I was like, oh, that sounds... No, he likes dirty sound. He likes dirty sound. Yeah. That's really interesting. He, he likes he likes a clean version of dirty sound. So okay. um, Spielberg has, uh, for dialogue, one of the more interesting careers for sound. Mm. Um, it's really, really worth... I'll it's worthwhile it. watching all of his films, but you can sort of pick... You can sort of go through and go, I'll watch this one, then I'll skip five years, and I'll watch this one, then I'll skip five years, and I'll watch this yeah. one. And, you, and you'll get the idea. But, like, if you start with... Um, Jewel was for TV, so kind of just throw that away for a sec. But like, um, uh, Sugarland Express is a great place to start in terms of his feature film mm. career. And you go that, like that, and Jaws uh, and Close Encounters. You can really bundle those all together, all the way up to Indiana Jones is separate. That has a Lucas influence. So, and also it's just a different style of film. ET that goes with Close Encounters and and the sound design approach to all that stuff. Um, uh, Schindler's List and Jurassic Park are kind of like this blended mode where it's they do have that 19, in the 1970s a lot of the approach to sound became quite popular after when MASH came out and MASH basically was mixed so that the background sound was around the same level as the dialogue so you're kind of like listening through the chaos Mm. and it was and so you have a lot of films of that period like um and look honestly i love that style i i not quite as far as mash like that's a very very um extreme it also sounds a little bit like a set like mash um has that the the reflection i mean the film though oh right sorry the film mash so the film mash uh Mm. no because uh that was the Stuff that I'm referring to is mostly shot on location. Yep. So um, then you have films like All the President's Men and Network and, and, and Rocky and all that kind of stuff. Everyone was kind of working in this like 
pool of what sound was them then. And uh, they were allowing the world to come into the soundscape uh, as opposed to it sort of being the 40s and 50s stuff, which was very much like, and now everything else stops and listen to what the act has to say. Yeah, right. um, so I'm a bit of a fan of that too. I, I think personality of a location should kind of bleed into your your dialogue should be clear and and should have a lot of like it should have a lot of um god i wish i knew presence is the word i'm thinking of but the that doesn't mean the ambience should disappear but then the ambience should be it's hard to you know the, this was about one of the clear cleanest films that he has had i would go to say ever mm. Um, in terms of audio approach, it was it was quite Hollywood versus Spielbergian because um, he really does like the environment to be there. Um, I know that a lot of people would talk about like the sound of Saving Private Ryan, but that's a really one-off basis that has a lot of Spielbergian sound approach in it, but it mm. also happens to be set in an extremely loud environment. So if you skip forward, like one of my one of my favorite Spielberg films in terms of looking at the whole approach of his, where everything that he does is wrapped into one thing with a bow, like the way that he approaches drama, the way he approaches suspense, thrills, um, comedy, uh, 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 action, everything, uh, there is a snippet of every single bit of that in War of the Worlds. And the first 20 minutes, the sound design, particularly the dialogue, is uh, is a really good thing to watch of how he does stuff. So when he shoots a shot that is far away, uh, either zoomed in to be close or it's a wide shot, he's like, okay, ev everything that you can see, basically, you can hear that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so that's what he really likes to have. Um, I did. I was just looking up at the sound recorders. Um, the, he has. Uh, it looked like he has a, a few that he works with, but there's like one that's been there for a little bit of time, and mm. one that hasn't. I don't think he's got one sound recorder he works with, or sound mixer. I guess location I'd, mixer. I'll just on the music. By the way, it was the guy that did um, the Back to the Future trilogy. Oh my god! Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so that's he used a lot of like that was one of the things I really enjoyed. Is like they constantly reference Back to the Future in the music sense, like that, like you know that little like twinkle that happens yes. and stuff like that. I heard that all throughout it, and I feel like I even might have heard like dun, 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 and that like they wouldn't they never finished the tune, but it, there was so many moments like that. Um, it, yeah, which is probably a good point at which to talk about like references yeah i think you're right uh there's uh, i mean this movie is there's a couple littered with references it's just yeah just a couple of references like from the first like no for the first sound you hear it's obviously got like that musical reference it was such oh, a the 80s, beginning. Yeah. yeah like it put you the moment the, that that um the score started was just like i forgot what the track was which just like threw you straight into what this movie is about it's about like about hitting particular references about times about like nostalgia um which you know like i'll talk about the story of that kind of a little bit later on but this it's it's part of why i need to watch it again because there was a lot of where's wally for me oh yeah definitely. like i was i remember you were telling me like tapping me in the room, like, hey man that's that's the thing from the day that's and the when i was looking at that one it's like i must have missed six others yeah so um and it was so weird because as i was saying earlier right like 
I've for a long time felt this reference culture quite exhausting. Um, mm. I used to love it like back in the when I was into Family Guy, so 2000. Could you imagine you yourself seven. back then? Like you're talking about how the uh, the reference oh, I, thing I, is exhausting. My mouth would have been watering. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> I would have been so excited. Uh, but, uh, but you were looking through the movie and you were kind of spotting the references and missing a lot of others. It's to do with the tone. Okay, yeah. It's really silly. It is. And you know what? The book isn't. That's, see. The book is really Every time silly. I've read about the book, it sounds, uh, it just has always sounded like it takes itself quite seriously. Yeah. Whereas does. that film was like, no. let's have fun. Yeah, yeah. There were a few serious and that's moments what made it okay. could have been left serious, but they weren't. They were like almost like, yeah, the music really carried it in a mm. different direction. Kind of like Back to the Future in its own respect, like where it's a serious film, but it's not a serious film. That, kind of yeah, I mean, that was the interesting. Remember when, um, when, uh, Oh, female lead characters. Uh, to be perfectly honest, actually, I've forgotten the characters' names. Like it was that type of film. It was sort of like so much, so much was visually happening. Actually, that I was quite overwhelmed, and I think I felt like I was on a roller coaster. And I just sort of was like, "Dude, chick, that guy, yeah, that person. Yeah. All right, cool, got it. Let's go." It's like Artemis. Um, Artemis. Yes. How could I forget Artemis? That's a character. Power. power Something, not Paracephalophosaurus. <laughs> yeah, that was it. I don't know. It doesn't, doesn't matter, like, the main male lead. <laughs> and the Blu-ray is so close. Yeah. Um, what about... Oh, um, yeah, she gets captured, right? And when they capture her, when they, like, take her and they put her in the thing, it's like the music was very sort of like Indiana Jones, fun, kind of like... Ooh, do, 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 do. Reminded me of, like, the markets stuff from Indiana Jones, mm -hmm. as opposed to, like... They've just caught her. Yeah, this is serious. Yeah, but they were—they just had this great thing of the whole time being like, just go with it and enjoy it. Have fun. That's yeah. what you're here to do. You're just here to absorb, like, uh, the ride. Um, and that's why I think all the reference stuff for me was more fun than it was like, uh, you know, when people sort of say certain Star Wars references now, you know, I kind of go, do you know how easy that one is? Yeah. Like, you know, it's everyone knows that and their dog. It's like, I just. That's actually going back into that CGI thing and the amount of references that they had to con like add and the detail of all those references. Could you imagine just being like, okay, we got this wide shot. We have like 300 characters. Let's just say that we only see 50 of them. As long as gonna... licensing was sorted out, the artists would have been basically allowed to do what they want. But could you imagine the research? Because you wouldn't want to just be like, oh, look, there's that robot from that thing, you know. It's like, no, what does that robot do? Like, what what season were we going to go for? Like, what's the best season to go for? What was the best version of that particular robot? The, the laser beams, were they always blue? Or they yeah. was there that season where it was red? And is that the better one? Like, that's... Well, like, imagine? remember that I, point, I was saying, oh, there's the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Right. And it's like the current Michael Bay movie right? ones. Yeah. Uh, produced by, I won't accuse him of having directed those. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the... Uh, and that's the thing, right? Like, you would have to check. Like, I bet you all the Spartans that are in it from Halo would be Halo 5 or Halo 6 Spartans, right? Yeah, yeah. Because they would be there going like, yeah, you can use them, but it better be fucking the ones that we want to push in the market at the mm -hmm. moment. Um, one of the things I found quite funny is, like, ILM is notorious for, because ILM, you know, it was owned by George Lucas, uh, they would do stuff like in, the, in Star Trek, the first Star Trek film, right? You know, when they, like... Do you mean the first new Star Trek? The film? first new Star Trek, the yeah, 2009 yeah, Star Trek film. So they come out of warp mm -hmm. and uh, 
all the other ships have been blown up. Remember, they come out like into oh, a debris yeah, field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so that. something blows up, and one of the things that flies past them is R two D two. A fully oh, really? high resolution, like straight from the Star Wars movies, R two D two is in the debris and flies past. In Star Trek. In Star oh, Trek. I didn't know that. And that's because that's the kind of shit that ILM like Star Wars episode one, when there's like a shot of the Senate and everyone's losing their minds, uh there's three uh there's three guys from ET's planet um <laughs> going like that's getting upset. Because it. when George Lucas was there, it's like Ha, 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 we're going to do all this stuff. It's funny. Um, the thing that was interesting about this film is like, it's ILM, but like, where was the Star Wars stuff? Because um, mm. now Disney's in control. So I, I, Maybe we didn't see it. I, I'm, I'm hoping, but like... They you made know, that one reference to it and, and I feel like that they were... If there isn't any references... The Millennium Falcon. <laughs> well, that's the whole, the whole thing. Like, it's like, I can get you the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. It's such a rare piece of thing in this so cool. thing <laughs> that like I can get it for you. And you, maybe that's a way of them going, we couldn't get the Star yeah. Wars stuff because Disney owns it. And I'm sorry. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, look, it's... Uh, not that there wasn't a smorgasbord of other things, but I mean, no. in terms of pop pop culture, uh, well, you yeah, know, one of the biggest. <laughs> like it's fucking Star Wars. Yeah, that's right. Um, they could get, but it was and oh, the other thing is I need to watch it again. I like I didn't see anything from Lord of the Rings in there, and it was Warner Brothers. I was like, come on, guys, you got the fucking license. Let's do this. Yeah, true. I guess um, yeah, no, I didn't even think of that. Actually, I think I remember there was that one moment. I thought there would have been an elephant or something like in the mm. final battle, you know, from the Battle of Minas Tirith in Return of the King, the gigantic elephants. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought like something like that or like that shit just the ghost army or something, that would have been cool. Yeah, and well actually let's dive into like the story because this is where I step in because I read the book. Uh because I read the book. Oh, sorry. I'm not. This is the part where I'm not allowed to talk. No, you're allowed to talk. Because, I haven't read the book, um, but it just it it really because it refers to a lot of things you're saying. The, the the you're talking about the guy who wrote Jurassic Park, and you were wondering if it's the same person who wrote this, which you should look up. up by the no, way. it wasn't. I know it wasn't. It wasn't David Cap. Okay, well, the, the fact of the matter is, is that they could have gone. They could have either made this into two or three movies that slowly progressed into like a series, uh, and really stuck to the book like page for page because it would have been they could have done it like the way it was written is that you could do it um or you take the core concept you strip away a lot of the the things that make it serious and you make it into this fun roller coaster ride that we just experienced i'm not against the the movie i just will say that the book is an interesting everything like it's it's such an interesting story. It talks about the future. It talks about, you know, like the like the, the energy crisis. It talks about so much that it and it talks about like the life of Oasis being this, like not just a place where people go and they chill. It's like the places where people like go to school because it's cheaper to send people to school digitally than it is to, or and when a, when someone has a class, then you can. You know, send them uh, like into like oh, let's go to Egypt, and then you go to Egypt. You know, like yeah. shit like that. And so, so it became cheaper for them to go to the schools there. The 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 whole concept of the um, caravan things that you see that where mm. he lives. That whole idea is about like the extreme poverty, and they also talk about that being like like not just 
one little area of the place, but like lots of people live there. That's like most people live that way. And then there, there are the, the elite or the people that live in cities or people that can afford it. Mm. You know, like the, the whole idea is uh, like- it's the vertical caravan park, which in America is a very American thing, but yeah. like it, that, that's ha trailer trash, right? Like that's the thing. That's the the derogatory term that they say about people living in trailer parks. Like, if you live in a trailer park, it's like okay, you're basically like the you're the last stop before homeless in American culture. Like yeah. that's the that's how they think of it. So to take a caravan park and to stack it vertically, it's like, because of the density, it's yeah. It, it to works. be honest, it'd be cheaper just to have a huge building with tiny apartments. But whatever, let's just go away from that. Um, but so I will say that, like, when you do, which because you you will and you should read the book, I will. You will because you are. I will. And anyone who hasn't read the book but has watched this movie will enjoy. I haven't spoiled anything about the book through this, and if I keep talking about the book, I will spoil a lot of what makes the move uh, the the book actually really good. Because it's it's it is quite a good book. Uh, it's it's an entertaining book. I'll tell you like later on. I'll tell you why I didn't like the one element of the book which I was like ah oh, about. But it's just it's such a different story, and I really I really appreciate the idea to either go full ball or to to be confident about making it a particular experience. Yeah, I mean, if you made. The interesting analog for, you know, for example, is like when you read, uh, if you've read Jurassic Park and the sequel, The Lost World, uh, if you've read those two books and then you watch the films, it's like, oh, okay, yes, there are five things in these things that <laughs> line up. Yeah. There is a park, there are dinosaurs, there is a guy called this and a guy called that and a woman called this and mm. kids called this and a T-Rex attacks them and there's velociraptors. Um, aside from that, <laughs> yeah, um, it's... From what you've described, it seems very similar to that because I think basically they just look at they look at it as making a film, and the thing is, what makes a good book does not absolutely does not make a good film. Well, let me take the the example of The Martian. Like, I really loved that book. I don't think they did had the right approach with the movie. It was a good movie, and if you hadn't read the book, it was is still a good movie. But if you had read the book. They chopped out massive, tense bits of the book, which were so not, not even the little stuff. I can I can get away with the whole like because the whole book is written in um in logs. The first major sections of the books are written in logs of the person, so we don't know what's actually going on. We don't see him, and of course you're not going to just have some log happening, and that's what the the movie is. You're going to see what what Matt Damon's character is doing and stuff like that. So I was completely fine with all of that. It was just they took out. I think two major chunks out of the thing which developed tension. So much tension about survival and about this and it and it made the film just be like there's this montage of him trying to survive and then he escapes. And it's like what what happened to survival? What happened to being on the last thread of survival? What happened to oh, there's so much it lost in tension. I I mean I strongly disagree. I think like Did you read the book? Yeah. And you strongly disagree? Yeah. Really? Okay, no, okay. Keep like, the... Carry on. For me, that film, that book, has three massive, like, oh, my God, it's so difficult to survive bits that if they were in the film, there's only two of them in the film. Uh, when the habitat blows up 
Um, that was one of the major ones. That's that's the major one. Mm. And um, well, there's there's two more after that. Uh, there's the uh, obviously the getting up to the thing, but in the book, there's like the tumbling over of the vehicle and and him getting stuck there for a period of time. And well, there was the so it wasn't just the there was a the habitat. Uh, there was the um, there was when trying to get to the the space shuttle or to to the place the the, the other space shuttle so that he could launch and the the storm yeah, yeah. that that was coming at that that point which was kind of like the 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 dual kind of tension moments and then there was another one in there which I think had to do with when he was getting parts and then that's when the thing tumbles over or some shit I feel, I feel like there was those three uh, that one's when he's driving to the spaceship and he um is driving up a very steep thing and the whole vehicle rolls backwards and he's stuck there for like a week or so I can't remember yeah. like but well, okay so I mean despite like uh, I mean you but for me, for me the thing is like I've... those things it's like that would be they to 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 write well for film like you basically go and the tension rises and then it goes here and then it needs to rise and rise up like sort of a mm. mountain that gradually peaks, right? It's kind of like, uh, you know, you go up, then you stay there for a bit, then you go up, then you stay there for a bit. But you always sort of have to like bring it in and, you know, it dips down to sort of make the audience not want to leave the cinema and like shoot themselves from Yeah, book, books have uh, allow patience. Yeah. Well, because it takes you for... It doesn't take you 10 minutes to get between those points. Yeah. It takes you however long it takes you to read it. For me, hours or days. And, yeah. I'm a very slow reader. Yeah. Like, um, and so that for me is like, it's okay in a book. But listening to that section, it was like, I'm going to check out soon. Like, if that was in the film, it would have been just too much. No, but I still feel like they didn't capture it well enough. I still feel like, look at Ready Player One and go to yourself, they took the essence of the, all the universe of, of Ready Player One and they went, okay, cool, we're, gonna, we're not going to follow this rule by rule, so we're going to confidently go in a different direction and make this a little bit more fun, a little bit more exciting, and we're going to strip away the bits that make it serious. I still feel like The Martian took out some of the moments which gave it that that rise in tension that you're talking about, that like bit that kind of like keeps speaking. I'm not saying keep it all in. That's bullshit. You should never do, never, never keep that crap in. There's a lot of like space jargon that you don't want to keep in, but there was something about the way that that film Too worked for me. Jargon. Yeah. In the book, you're like, you got to be a nerd to love that stuff. And same thing with, um, is it Artemis? The yeah, the yeah, other yeah. book that he wrote. It's, it's like, you got to be a nerd to love that shit. Um, and the same thing goes with like the Martian. I would totally say like, don't leave all that shit in. There's so much you can cut out. But there were like, it just didn't do it for me. I didn't. It felt like it went, it peaked up, and then it plateaued, and then it ended. And I was like, I so didn't weird. feel I... the struggle in the middle. I did not feel that like, oh my shit, is he gonna make it? Is he gonna survive? Yeah, I read the book. I knew that he was gonna make it, but it still they could have changed it. I mean, that last moment at the end, I wasn't sure if they would change the story or not. But like the middle ground, it just, I just was like, oh yeah, okay, cool. Oh, and we're we're there. Oh. How did he get from there to there? Oh, it just he just did it. Movie magic. I'm like, man. There's like, I, I, I like I understand what you're saying, but I still feel like, okay, we're in the cinema for two hours by that point, dude. Then cut off some of the habitat stuff. 
No, but that was so good. It, it was it, like it was good, but that wasn't the best part of oh, the thing. I think that I've the, watched that film like twelve times. I've, I've watched that movie I've, once, and I've I told myself I'm not going to watch it again. Wow, <laughs> I earned it. I'm going to watch it one more time because I, I think I watched it so. five times and then read the book and then. I watched it I'm like sure soon after I read the book. So I could be very, very biased here, but I just enjoyed the book so much. I found myself groaning from about two thirds in. I found myself groaning every time I went to his logs. Really? I found it oh, because it was formulaic. It was like, I did this and then I did the thing and then this stuff happened. And I'm like, it's not that it's something different that he's doing. That is the, it had first time writer issues that that's honestly that's what it was it was just like when you're writing um like i know this when i like watch back at my own stuff and i go oh, i fucked up the dialogue in that scene for sure because i didn't do changing tactics or something basic shit mm. like that was the stuff that he he had so much repetition of tactic in that book where it was just like, yeah, I get it. He got a thing and he's going to tell me how he figured it out and then he's going to work his way out of the situation and then the thing's going to go back to Earth. And I'm so much more looking forward to hearing what the people on Earth are doing. Because it was like there was... That's so interesting because I thought the Earth stuff was kind of boring. His problem-solving approach was never different. It was always yeah. the same. Why? Because it was an engineering mathematical approach. Yeah, and I really It's linear. That. Yeah, but it's like... I, was, I, was I, like, I, I find that stuff really interesting and amazing, but like not... 30 times in a book like and that's what happens in the book so like yeah two thirds of the way through i was much more looking forward to hearing from um either the crew coming back to mars or earth and then i was like ugh, slogging through the pages of him because he was just really boring at that point to me yeah, that's fair you which know is what? the part of the which is interesting because that's the part of the book that they didn't have in the film yeah, which is why I watched the movie again just to, you know, now it's been a long time since I read the book. So I'd love to just revisit that film and then see what I think. But going back to Ready Player One. I, is that what we're talking about? Yeah, right. What movie are we talking about? <laughs> First, I felt like we were just talking about Steven Spielberg. And, <laughs> and now we're talking about Ready Player One. Okay, so Ready Player One, I feel like if they hadn't done what they did and they tried to cram in all the amazingness that came from the book, I thought, um, it would have been lost mm. in the same way to me The Martian is, but I imagine there's other examples of books that are like, oh, but you've taken... Jurassic, honestly, there's more than way more than one Spielberg. Ex um, uh, Lincoln, uh, the, book, uh, the film Lincoln, yeah, yeah. is taken from... Um, a chapter in a book. All right. The, enti the entire film is a chapter from an extraordinary book. Um, yeah. Uh, Team of Rivals, fucking great book. Uh, but it's a chapter. Mm -hmm. Because it, the, the, the overwhelming thing you get from this book is uh, 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 who as a person, as a character, the essence of Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. You... you Remember what we're doing here, right? We're talking about Ready Player One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's the same thing. Like it's that thing of what's the most important aspect of that book. Yeah, Spielberg, Spielberg's do. film yeah. Lincoln does that. Yeah. Jurassic Park does the same thing. And that's the only reason why that movie gets away with it, I think, because I think it if it if it didn't if it didn't go balls to the wall with that kind of more like lighter side of things and kind of like more of just an adventure film, I would have been disappointed. It. it 
<laughs> it was a fun ride, and that's great. That's... It's good to hear that. I think I was surprised that it was as fun as it was. Mm. I expected it to be visually awe-inspiring and amazing and, mm. and all these kind of things. I expected that stuff. I didn't expect for it to not push me to take it seriously. I, I will say one thing about it, though. Um, the I felt like the, the love aspect of it was very rushed. Oh, totally. Like, and then it happened. And then they said, I love you. And it's like, I get, I get why, to be honest, like as a, you know, working in the industry, I can understand why it kind of was put to that. They cut it down to such a point where that's what they needed to happen. And it was like character wise, he, you know, he obviously was shooting the gun too early and he kind of like did say, I love you too quickly because that was his thing. He's just, you know, like infatuated with this person. But in my head, I'm like, oh, it just felt, I just felt like, okay, really, guys? He could have, he could have axed that whole arc out of it and, and, or slowed it down or. Yeah, I think the only reason they kept it was to draw a parallel between him and, uh, what's the name of the guy they invented, the Oasis? Whatever his name is. Yeah, yeah. Um, they wanted to draw a parallel between the two and then have him not, uh... not repeat the same thing. Um, yeah, I see what you get. That line isn't particularly strong in the film at all. No. Um, it's. I didn't mind. I didn't clear. mind his parallel, like no, the not the main characters, but the guy who made the world. I didn't mind that being. I didn't love it, but I didn't mind that being like there's that kind of line to it. I didn't get the whole friendship thing because I felt like that was tacked on at the end. It was like it's about friendship, and that's why he did it. And it's like oh, no, I didn't really get that vibe. It was. Uh, it could have been. But. They had that one scene earlier on, but the majority of it was um, a ver uh, there was a lot of tell and not show. You know, yeah, yeah. It's a you know the show the show don't tell thing. It's like there was a lot of tell don't show. But yeah, um, again, it comes back to what's this movie trying to do? Yeah, and that's right. Like, do we want the movie to be twenty five minutes longer to fit that shit in? No, 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 definitely like, not. Because I would, I wouldn't mind a. I wouldn't mind them going hard into the book and doing two movies. I would have been okay I think, with that. But the that. thing is, like, to me, that's more like... Uh, uh, the book has two... Why not make like, a TV show instead? Like, why not make a 10-part series where you can do it, like... It would be too much for that. There's, really? it's In the book, it kind of, like... There's, well, you could break up each major moment into the keys, really. Like, you could go, like, one key, two key, and final. You could do it in three movies, but I almost feel like it would be boring in six hours um, as a trilogy. But there are, like, in the book, there are kind of... You could split it in half and have... There is kind of, like, the main character arc has a moment in the middle where it's like, oh, I would happily drop it there and pick up the next movie and watch it or wait another year and watch a movie. You could do it. And keep all the the themes and the pacing and everything. I'm happy they. I don't care that they went this way. I actually don't mind it at all because I would have been bored shitless. I the, yeah. one of the key differences, like between books and films, right, is the fact that for a writer to give you a sense, surely at least the first chapter is setting the scene for you mm -hmm. in that book, right? Um, oh my god, the book's so good. You got to read the book. The the difference is a film can do that in a shot. A single shot mm. can show you that. And that is the thing is that, you know, a book might be, I was made, say, say it's like 400 pages long. It's probably like 200 pages or whatever. But like, you know, say, say something is 400 pages long. They spend 100 pages getting into universe, introducing the characters, saying all those. It's, it's like that's three minutes of the film. Yeah. 
the the time spent on things is totally distorted. Yeah, yeah. Between the two, it's, it's the hardest thing to do to marry a book, a book and a movie. And that's the thing. It's like you might have this amazing sequence that gets all this stuff, and when you've read the book, you have this memory of how much time you got to spend in each little thing and all that kind of stuff. But it's like that's your imagination. Mm. With the assistance, obviously, well, you know, being completely spurred by by the writer. Whereas, like, the filmmaker can go, cool, that shot went for eight seconds and, you know, all that stuff that they spent 14 pages on, uh, done. Yeah, that's what it did, yeah. And so I think that's the thing is that you just have this huge distortion between the two. And so when you go to adapt, it's like, okay. And also it's just like... Well, we talked about it in that other podcast film about film, video games and storytelling and how we're yeah. still waiting for that revolution. It's the same thing with movies and books. They're different mediums, and they're, so I don't think there's any argument. It's great to see a, a, a two mediums come together in, in a good way where you, there's a harmony that exists. Mm. But generally speaking, they're never going to be alike. They're never going to be the same. They're always going to be in some way odd or disappointing or disjointed or some shit. So it's like, and it's good that this film, if they if it went the Lord of the Rings route, that would have been fine. If it went the route that it did, it would it was fine. If they went in the middle and they tried to do both in the same film, it would have been garbage. I think I th one of the things is like if you went the Lord of the Rings way, it's like the the number one thing that would have happened would have been okay. You don't get Spielberg. He doesn't yeah, yeah. do that. No stuff. So, you know, there's that guy off the list. That's like. I like that was brilliantly handled as a, as a film. Yeah. You know, having not read the book, it's like that. That still just as a film, mm. that was such a a great handling of that story. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I really enjoyed was like the visual contrast, the, the visual similarities it has with his other like futuristic film Minor Minority Report. Um, and the thing that's so funny is like Minority Report is a really fucking serious film. Uh, mm. And that was the thing I think I really enjoyed about this was it was this future film where it was just like woo woo woo. Yeah. Um, despite like there was a lot at stake, like but you got it, mm. and you really felt like it was just a very traditional sort of story, you know. Um, uh, people up against the odds. Are they going to win? Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Good feelings. Yeah, and that and that was the. And I think that when he looked at it as a series of beats, you know, the the source material, it's kind of like, okay, which ones do we put in the film? And you just sort of go with those things. I, I think I, I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And one of the things I took a great deal of joy out of it was that, um, you know, Spielberg's, I don't know, 74, something like Jeez. that. And for him to have something put together, obviously with the assistance of many, 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 mm. many other people, um, as they have a great ILM, have a fantastic special feature on the, um, DVD of Star Wars episode three, which is, uh, like, uh, one minute, I think it's called like a breakdown of one minute of this film and mm. they go through and then they like list how many people worked on it. And it was like 1200 people. That's how many people <laughs> it takes to make one minute of the Star Wars movie. Um, Jeez. And, yeah, and so, like, Spielberg obviously has, like, that team of 1,200, 1,500, 2,000 people, whatever it is, from end to end, yeah. you know, from him right down to the runner. Uh, those are the people that make this film um, with his vision. And uh, the thing that's interesting about it is, like, you know, you getting all those people involved to put all the things on screen, have all these things happen, and you just go... 
this guy is so with it. Mm. Like you don't make that film with all the spuns from Halo and all the people from Gundam and all this. Like, like I mean, Spielberg is a geek, right? He's, he's quite a nerdy dude, but um, I doubt that, I don't know, but I uh, massive fan, but I'd never gotten the sense that he's that broad. Mm. Um, not many people are. Uh, and Except for the writer of the book. <laughs> Right, mm. but but I think that um, you know the uh, so much of it was there, and so much of it was relevant, and so much was like culturally powerful, and the Firefly stuff, and you know that that blew my mind. It's like I love this idea of Spielberg being like, oh yeah, the thing from Firefly, and you're just like, F you watch fucking Firefly? Yeah. Um, it reminded me of watching Mad Max uh, Fury Road for the first time, and I just sat there and I was like, you know, George Miller's seventy something. Um, and maybe he was 70 at the time. I can't remember, but he's 70 something when the film came out. And I just went, how did a guy in his seventies make this? Mm. Like this <laughs> super awesome action film that like a 14 year old would be like, that was fucking sick. Yeah. Like, how do you have that youth in you? How do you have that energy in you to be that chaotic and that big and that excited about telling this story that is not is but should be so detached from from you because of our ageist stereotyping of older generations that we always think of them as detached from understanding what we're doing mm. um and that's one of the things i really loved about this film is that at no point did it feel like the person who was at the head of the ship was like i don't know what that is but throw it in whatever yeah. you know um the kids will love it yeah it felt like at every step of the way, it was like, you know, I, I bet you Spielberg knows a lot more like teen lingo than I fucking know. Like, that's how I felt about the film. Mm. And that really excited me because it made me feel like, um, it made me feel happy that I, I, you know, someone I admire so much was having such a great time because it looked like a film that someone had a lot of fun making. I really enjoyed the movie. I was, I thought it was fun. And ex the moment I could, the moment I realized after the first couple of scenes where I'm like, okay, this isn't a recreation. I was like, okay, cool. Now I can get into this in a different way. And then I could just enjoy the moments that were similar, but then not be too upset by the fact that it's it's totally, the tone is completely different. So I, I had a good time watching it. I just loved the spectacle. To be honest, if I'd watch that movie again only because of the spectacle, because that was just... The, the the all the references the characters the cgi all that stuff is just like it's so layered and littered throughout the whole film that, that i just enjoyed for just that and the sound design brilliant got to listen in 5.1 because of your <laughs> setup sorry uh, not 7.1 i'm sorry well you bastard um and it's just yeah I, I had a great time and that's exactly what it should have been i had a great time watching this movie when i was reading the book i remember being like this movie would be, this would be an awesome movie. This would be an awesome kind of like, this would just be fun to watch. Despite the fact that it's a serious film, a serious book and a serious, like it, it makes some serious points. And I think it's really good for that reason. But I said to myself, this is to actually just be a fun movie. And it was, mm. you know, in the creation of it. So yeah, that's what I think about it. So yeah, I don't know. Is that all you want to say? I feel like. We've dived into it quite a lot and talked a lot about not this movie. Yeah. Well, I guess like talking talking around it, you know, talking near it. No, but anything else you want to unleash on? Yeah, performances were good. Really yeah, good. Yeah, the performance. Overall, I thought. And I think that um, 
it's sad that we can't like because I mean you could have a whole big discussion about it, but to be honest, the conversation to have about this film is the CGI, the references, and the directing. Mm. That's the those are the three main points. Oh, sorry, and the the book reference and the fact that it's you know adapted from a from yeah because it's a spectacle spectacle yeah pop culture thing. And the actors didn't it's, do a bad job. I really loved the the main like the what's it called the guy who created the game the Oasis game. Oh, he's I, a brilliant actor. I thought he was a great did a great performance mm. in it. Even from referring to the book, he didn't remind me of the guy in the book, but the way he performed was like it was great. All the performances were really good. I just, it's I feel bad because i feel like i should be giving them more credit because they did all an amazing job but it just wasn't the point of the film no and again i you know for me it always not always but it fell yet again under this thing of like uh i just feel like spielberg or his work these days always comes across as it's that aspect of it's not hard mm, that's right. and i'm not saying that it isn't yeah, I, yeah. you know but i mean clearly from his own descriptions of how he feels on set that we've discussed like he uh he, he's freaking out when he's on set yeah of course. um and it isn't easy but it just looks so easy i mean that's just experience that's just knowing how to handle stuff yeah. and it's one of the things i will say is like it's really lovely to watch that film um as he does when he does uh, his two projects at a time thing you know that film was made around the same time as the post and that's just a straight drama mm. um it's 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 great to see that contrast you know two films coming out mm. right near each other both spielberg uh and look at how he handles them and you know one of them is just so incredibly about performance yeah so heavily reliant on performance and and in this film um the the performances are there holding up poles in the tent to get yeah. the roof up um, but the pole in the middle is the spectacle. Yeah, that's right. And that's, a, that's kind of what I feel about, like, I know it sounds really weird, but Back to the Future. I, I really enjoyed that movie. I thought that the acting was great, but I wouldn't, that's not what I would talk about when it comes to Back to the Future. Yeah, the, I feel very sorry for the person who takes Back to the Future incredibly seriously. Yeah, right. Like, you know, th that shit's fun. It is exactly what it is. That and, shit's meant and to make you forget about life. That's not to say that those actors did a terrible job. They did a great Phenomenal job. Phenomenal job. Phenomenal job, but it just wasn't a movie about those performances. That it was, was ridiculously over the top. It's caricatured. Yeah. It's Yeah. Ridiculous. Though this wasn't too ridiculous. Like, it wasn't over the top, but it was certainly That was big fun. stuff. There was, yeah. It was big, big performances, and they, were, and they were quite silly in parts, but... It was, it, within the context of the film, it was like, that's exactly what it was. Yeah, I I I loved it. I I thought I would not want to watch it again. That's yeah. that's what I thought going into it. I went, oh, I'm really excited to watch this. I think it'll be okay, but it's going to be like visually incredible. But aside from that, I'm just going to be like, uh huh. Mm. I it was so fucking fun. fun. Yeah, it definitely was lovely. Alrighty, well then let's wrap that shit up. Uh, thank you very much for watching the movie and having dinner and doing a podcast. Thank you, Piat. And interview someone else for God's sake. No, don't tell me what to do. This is my podcast. I can sort of, there's like, I could get Juno and just sort of like, you know, Straight get her, to yeah, and I'll get her to. The issue is that when you talk to Juno, um, as with cats, uh, meow. no, uh, they well, they primarily communicate with their tail, so, um, it's not really it. good for podcasting. True, we'll just hear the wind. That'll be all interestingly how they see in the dark. 
Well, there you go. Well, that's that's for another podcast. No, no, no. We'll do it now. No. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, bye.